Hello and welcome to another week of Knit a Spell. I'm really excited for our guest today, Jim. Who do we have on? We have Charlie McCreary, my dear, very old friend. She's not old. Our friendship is old. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Hi, Katie. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Charlie's journey into the creative arts began over two decades ago. She was co-founder and managing director of the Kabiri, a nonprofit organization dedicated to preserving folklore and mythology through acrobatic theater. She's also a student and practitioner of earth-based spirituality, astrology, she's really good at that, and metaphysical arts for also over 20 years. Katie and I are so excited to have you on today to talk about scary stories on stage. Ooh. Welcome, Charlie. Yay. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. So thrilled to be here with you both. You are so accomplished, and it seems like Jim and you have known each other for quite a while. So what was the origin story? We met in 1998, around this time of year, actually, right around Hallows. We were at a pagan festival out on Orcas Island here in the Northwest together. And this festival, when you check in, you get assigned to a clan. And your clan is your group of buddies for the weekend and you go to rituals together and you bond and commune. And it's been long enough now that my memory's fuzzy that I don't remember if Jim checked in first or if I did, but one of us checked in first and then the other one of us got there. And so my last name used to be Barker and oh. we saw each other's last name on the check-in sheet and said, I think I should be in that clan because there's another Barker. How cool is that? And we pretty much instantly became friends and been friends ever since then. What are the so odds so of that? that? We masquerade as cousins because <laughs> her maiden name and my legal name, we are actually closer than a lot of cousins anyway. And maybe because of our same last names, we probably are related way back. Way back, yep. yes. Wow, it was faded. Yeah. So then, Charlie, how did your magical journey begin? I grew up as a strange kid. I lived in a family that wasn't religious per se, but I spent part of my childhood in the South and part of my childhood in an actually fairly religious part of Northern California. And so I got invited to church a lot with friends. And I remember going to those experiences, very open-minded and I enjoyed aspects of it, but that type of engagement with religion just didn't ever click for me. And I remember having conversations with my parents and they'd say, so how was church today? We're not a church going family. And I'd say it was okay, mom, but I really just feel like the ancient Egyptians who thought the sun was a God and the ancient Greeks who had goddesses of the sea, it makes so much more sense to me. And so I just thought I was on this island of embracing nature and mythology as part of my spiritual practice. I thought I was unusual in that way. And for my friend's circle, I was, although I was the one who got invited to the slumber party because I could host a really good seance. I could 
bring in people's lost pets or pets that had passed on or their grandmother who died and have conversations. And my friends really enjoyed that. So there we go. A little esoteric occult practitioner in the making. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, funny. And then I moved to Washington in 1995 to go to college. So I would have been around 19 in that year. And the college newspaper, the University of Washington Daily, had an article about all the different religions on campus. And there was a paragraph about paganism. And I wish I still had it because it was a pivotal moment in my life to discover that there was a name for people like me. I had been Mm -hmm. building altars and making sigils and worshiping nature pretty much my whole life. And I didn't realize until I left home for college that was a religion. And so I quickly started seeking out other pagans and pagan books and started on the path and never looked back. Wow. I never knew this story. For all the years we've known each other, I've never asked you this question. How old were you when you were like, oh yeah, I can talk to your dead pet, no problem. That was just Uh, a natural gift for you? I don't know what inspired me to do that, honestly. I read a lot of horror novels growing up, so maybe that's where I got the idea. I really liked scary movies too, inspired by media of some kind. I think I was middle school age, so maybe 10 or so. And part of our seance would be that we would have to make a potion that we would all drink. And so this meant going into the fridge and getting like grape juice and putting random herbs in it. Like it never tasted good, but it was process of using my intuition. And then we burned candles and we held hands and yes, Ouija boards were a thing. So yeah. (laughs) And how many of those people that you did these things with are now similar in practice to you? Did any of them, you think, go beyond that night? That's a good question. Yeah. When I left the South, I didn't stay in touch with very many folks from that time in my life. I'm still in touch with friends from high school, though, where I continued to be an odd one. And some of them definitely veered in that direction as well in terms of having metaphysical practice or doing healing work or energy work. So Yeah. Some Mm. of us continued on the path and then I'm sure some let it fall to the side because it wasn't resonating in this lifetime for them. What was appealing to you in those early years? What were the things that were most interesting to you in magic and in paganism? I think having this idea that I could create sacred space in my home on the full moon and start more officially working with herbs and plants and astrology, things I had always been interested in, but having a container and a context for them was really inspiring for me. I also pretty quickly in 95, as soon as I discovered that there was a name for what I was drawn to, started connecting with local groups. And so around that same time, I and a few other girlfriends, all of whom were new to this practice, we formed a coven. And we created original rituals twice a month for the full and new moons. And we read Spiral Dance and got really inspired by Starhawk's work and just started creating ritual and ritual experiences. And we would do huge elaborate rituals for Hallows and Beltane. And then we would have a party afterwards. So we would invite people outside the coven to participate in those. And those were incredible experiences. We'd have bonfires and fire dancing for Beltane and For Hallows, we would do a descent to the underworld journey like Persephone or Inanna. So I did a lot of work in the time leading up to the year that you and I met, Jim, 
in terms of trying to really get my feet wet around what it meant to be a pagan and a witch and practice ritual and create ritual and just start to understand what all that meant and what it meant for me. One of the really beautiful practices that Coven and I had was we would read the really traditional charge of the goddess, which Doreen Valiente wrote. And we would pass an apple around the circle and we would each take a bite of the apple as we took turns reading sections of that text. And it was this idea of imbibing the intent of the words into ourselves mm -hmm. and the fruit as a symbol of the goddess and really bringing her into ourselves as we read those words. So just some really beautiful practices emerged during that time in that circle. And then as happens with groups of people in their 20s, we all scattered to the winds. Around the same time I met Jim, I think that coven only existed maybe less than a year after that. But by then I had enough community that I could keep doing the work in other places. I can start to see the frameworks for where that went because I've known you for so long. Can you share what you practiced then? How has that been a gateway or how has it also changed to what you do now? It's a great question, Jim. And it is always interesting to go back and think about where we started with something. And then when we stick with it for 20 years, whether it's magic or knitting or creating art or whatever our heart calls us to do, so many times the seeds are there from the very beginning. And so another huge piece of my life is that I've been involved in theater since I was about five or six years old as a performer. And so around the same time I met Jim, less than six months later, I met John Murphy, who he and I co-founded the Kabiri together, the performance company. And that same year, 1999, I met Reverend Paul Byrell, who is the Wiccan priest that I studied with for many years who ordained me in 2017. So 1999 was a huge year for me in terms of both of those things starting at the same time. And here I am 23 years later and they're both still a huge part of my life. The difference now is just that I've really come into a position of leadership and it's a complicated word, but honestly power, finding my personal power, finding my capital P place in both of those practices as a ritual theater creator and performer, as a priestess, as somebody who now mentors and educates and leads ceremony and writes rituals and directs performances. So it's been a pretty linear growth for the most part in terms of those initial seeds in my life and where I've ended up now. I am dying to know because you are also an accomplished astrologer. Did you ever look into this year, that year that everything changed, evolved, twisted to see what was happening? I have looked back at that time in my life and I often with astrology, there are really significant things going on. And so I have gone back and looked at that time and there's nothing really huge that jumps out. Like I would expect to see a Pluto transit or some kind of outer planet Thing. Pluto was close to transiting my ascendant during that time, which astrologically, when Pluto is, it moves really slowly. It's the furthest out planet that we work with in astrology. So when it moves across something in our chart, it can mean a really profound shift. And astrologically, our ascendant is a beginning point. It's the moment that we took our first breath separate from the body of our mother, of the womb. So it's significant. And 
Pluto was pretty close to being in that place in my chart in that year. Mm. So I think that was definitely part of the journey of coming into all of this. And some of it is still a mystery to me. I don't know why all that happened the year that it happened, but I'm so grateful. I think it's interesting to think about my chart, John Murphy's chart, Paul Byrell's chart in relationship to your chart in that year. And I think that would be an interesting thing to look at because maybe it wasn't you. Maybe you were the gravity well that actually brought those three people or those two people or those significant things to you. I just thought of it now and I just Mm. think, oh, that'd be an interesting way to look at it. Yes, absolutely, Jim. Would you say astrology is maybe your favorite magical craft or dancing? Gosh, so I'm an air sign. It's hard for me to pick just one. I want everything. I want it all. Ritual theater is definitely one of my most favorite practices. And so just quickly how I would define what that means. This is for me, taking a story from mythology or folklore and creating a very embodied relationship with it, Mm -hmm. working with it with the intention that I would bring into any ritual, a full moon ritual, a Sabbath ritual, hand fasting, anything, bringing that level of acknowledging that it's sacred and that intention and that focus into the work performance space though. So the idea is that as it's created, eventually it's shared for the public, for whoever happens to be there. So that is a massive part of my practice. And for many years, I viewed ritual theater and my more craft-based practices as separate but related. And now, just especially in the last few years, I've really come into understanding that it's all related. I have largely my partner, Isaiah, to thank for that just of helping me see that the umbrella over which all of my practices falls under, it's everything. It's all of it. So it feels really good to do that, to synthesize and bring things together that had felt really disparate in the past. Mm -hmm. Ritual theater is huge. Astrology is a part of my daily life. I write about astrology on social media often. I'm a consulting astrologer. So I'm always following transits to see what might be coming up for my clients and then for myself too, just noticing, okay, how's this week going to be? How's today going to be? Just tracking all that stuff and having some awareness. So smart. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive more into what ritual theater is and how you bring it to life in your own way. (laughs) That's my dog. She agrees. We'll be right back after the break. Your hands are the map to achieving anything you want in life. But it's hard to read that map in just one reading. My coaching packages allow me to work with you over time to build towards your goals. We bring in life coaching, executive coaching, leadership coaching. We bring in tarot, palmistry, a little bit of astrology, all the mystical and the practical together and these amazing coaching pathways that my clients are on already really help propel people towards their goals. Learn more about Jim's new coaching packages by sending him an email at jim at thedivinehand.com to schedule a free discovery call or visit thedivinehand.com to learn more. Hey, Nidispel fans, join our Patreon for just $13 a month to gain access to extended episode comments, episode outtakes, behind the scenes and bonus content, magical making tips, monthly polls to influence future topics and guests, 
and interact with your fellow patrons. Plus, you'll be supporting one of your favorite podcasts. Join today to gain access to our entire post history. Visit patreon.com forward slash light from lantern to learn more and sign up. Jim and I look forward to seeing you there. And we're back. So you had just given us a little intro on ritual theater, Charlie. How do you now bring that to life in your own way? Having been involved with the Kabiri as long as I have, I've grown so much in my practice of this art form. When I think back to what we were creating in 99, 2000, 2001, we were really figuring it out as we went. And now, two decades later, it's amazing to be in a place of getting inspired about a myth or a story and getting a bunch of books and doing reading and really diving in deep, talking to scholars and experts in those fields and knowing what the process is to start to bring that into the creative space, to tell the story, to bring the dancers and all the other performers into that container to help them start embodying the story because that's a big part of it as well. I could read books and do research and write and map out a script to my heart's content, but if I'm not able to hold the space such that others can really come into that with me, then I'm missing a big piece of the work. So it's been a really beautiful journey of learning how to do that and realizing how much magic unfolds in the rehearsal space. One yeah. of the things I love to share about our process of creating is that so many of these texts that we are inspired by are literally fragments. So there are a lot of gaps in the narrative and Nana does this and then it's broken and we don't know what happened. And now she's over here doing this. And so in the creative magical space with the dancers, we can start to utilize ourselves as vessels for the archetypes, for potentially the context, the motivation to fill in those gaps and bring deeper meaning of all these stories, not only to ourselves, but to our audiences who have probably never seen these stories performed or maybe don't even know these stories. It's a pretty yeah. incredible process. I remember early performances from 99, 2000, 2001, and I remember very vividly saying to Richard and to others that went with me, wow, it's like a ritual. I feel like the work and the performances that you've done have become more and more actual ritual, starting it with smoke, starting it with invocation, those things happening in the theater performance, whereas early on, they were less formalized in that way. So I love seeing that evolution. Then what you've said also about the deep amount of research and how the co-founder was also getting master's degree and just having such a deep commitment to the academic knowledge in these ancient stories and then bringing that onto stage with the gnosis and with the ability for it to speak to people. There's something so magical about that. I love what you're naming, Jim, around the importance of having a good foundation in the research. And I know that you all have talked about grounding and centering here on the podcast. And for me, really doing a deep dive into the story, the culture, the context, just as much as I can learn about the culture that I'm working with or the myth that I'm working with, it's the grounding and centering prior to the ritual for us. Right. 
And if our goal is to educate people about mythology through performance and to preserve mythology that's fading into antiquity, it would be a disservice to skim a Wikipedia page and create a show based on that. So that deep dive feels really important. And it's always a beautiful process to reach out to scholars who are studying, for example, Hittite mythology. Most people don't even know what that is. So when an artist, a creator reaches out to a scholar working in a very obscure discipline and says, I'm inspired to create art about these stories, they're almost always 110% thrilled to hop on a Zoom, hop on the phone, answer questions. And so there's a deepening of understanding and growth that happens for everybody. And these scholars just go nuts when they hear what we're doing. They say, you're doing what? You're creating a show about what? Nobody cares about this. And we said, we're trying to change that. That's what we're trying to do. These stories are worth preserving and we can find so much meaning in our lives and our experiences through these mythological journeys and archetypes. We're in the end of October. And so one of the things that is so interesting to me is the way in which you and the Kibiri have brought scary stories from myth to stage. The first time you did it, there was this cool idea called Ghost Game. And I think this is a Japanese tradition. Can you talk about scary stories from myth? Why and where and how this is translated onto stage? Absolutely, Jim. So we presented our first Ghost Game show in 2006 here in Seattle been a while. Time (laughs) flies. Time (laughs) flies. And partially it was this idea that instead of creating an entire show about one story, what if we picked a theme and then we did survey of picking a handful of myths that loosely orient around that theme to present over the course of an evening. So more like vignettes versus Mm. one big epic production. And in the process of coming up with this idea and brainstorming it, our artistic director, John, discovered this Japanese tradition. And Jim, can you say the name? My pronunciation is terrible. Hyako Monogatari. Thank you. There it is. And so this is a tradition, and I think that it's somewhat fading from practice now in Japan, but it was a tradition to gather with a hundred candles in someone's home and to stay up all night telling ghost stories. And after each story, some of the candles would be extinguished. And so over the course of the night, the room would get darker and darker and the stories would get scarier and scarier. And so it was this idea of a building, but also of a coming together as community to tell stories. In our first few years of Ghost Game, we actually had audience members come up and read the stories. And that was a cool idea, but... And and to be clear, the stories that you originally picked were not just stories from Japan. They were stories from Mm. myth from around the world. But the concept was inspired by this Japanese tradition. Exactly, Jim. So we played with that our first few years. We got really experimental with it. We wrote stories on scrolls and we would seat the room at tables of five people and we would serve dessert. One time we even served a full multi-course dinner and each table would have a scroll on it. And then everybody, it was divinatory. Whatever table you ended at, that's your story. And not every story would be read for that night, but it would create an element of kind of the unexpected. 
oh gosh, is our table going to have to read our story? And the table would be tasked with, okay, who among the five of you would be willing to come up and read the story? So it was a really fun practice. And we discovered that the general public, a lot of folks are not excited or inspired about coming up in front of a room of a hundred strangers and reading a story. So public speaking, they don't like it. What? Yeah, not so much. So some people came up and killed it and got dramatically into it and just were amazing. But the majority of folks, and we warned them that it would be participatory ahead of time, but still a lot of folks were just like, I don't want to do this. So we decided to fade out that aspect of the experience, but we still found ways to make it interactive. We would hide little Easter eggs, little props on tables, and we would have characters come and take those or interact with them. We had a ghost game a few years ago prior to COVID where we put origami paper and instructions to make boats on every table. So every table folded paper boats and then we collected them. And then our first story was a Japanese myth and the boat was a central theme of it. And we later burned the boats ceremonially after the show was over. So over the years, we've still found ways to invite the audience in without making them come up on stage and get really nervous and not read the story as well as might be ideal. This was always done around Halloween time. They were spooky stories from different cultures. It was always a really fun thing to do around this time of year. The table decor was always great. The desserts were always fantastic. Mm. There was often a bar with special cocktails. Definitely a really fun event. When you say acrobatic arts, what does that mean? Describe that for people. What are some yeah. of the performers performing? Yeah. So we are an incredibly eclectic mix of folks with different types of movement and theatrical and dance and ac acrobatic training. And that's kind of the beauty of the Kabiri. We don't all have to be professional dancers or able to do handsprings across the stage. We can all bring our unique passion and skill set and gifts to the stage. So we have people whose primary discipline is aerial arts. So people who go on the silks or go on the hoop or wow. go on the trapeze, for example. We have people that are professionally trained dancers who do beautiful dance movement on the ground. We have people who are trained more in the field of acting and dramatic expression. And so we tend to, as we're creating our shows, cast people in ways that really allow them to show up from their zone of genius, what they're good mm. at. We're not going to ask somebody whose primary modality is drumming or music to do a contortion piece in a show. We're going to invite somebody in as a guest who has trained to be a contortionist for 10 years mm. and say, you get to be this special character in this scene and we're going to dress you as a snake and you're going to charm this character. And so we bring in a lot of contemporary circus disciplines we also use all kinds of puppets. We use shadow puppets where we set up a screen and we have a light behind it. And then you see the little silhouettes of the puppets acting out the story. We have giant puppets that are like 20 feet tall that like battle humans on the ground. We have stilts. So we'll have characters that are seven, eight feet tall, sometimes even with leg stilts. So they look like the creatures from the Dark Crystal. We draw in so many different modalities. We sometimes have projection artists that work with us. So we'll have these beautiful landscapes projected on the background of oceans and clouds and storms and you name it. So we're very multidisciplinary. We 
almost always work with original live music. So we have musicians that we work with as well. Wow. We're very eclectic and we love putting all of those elements. Here's a good Halloween metaphor into the cauldron to stir it up. <laughs> see what comes out. So I have a question. Are these performers also into the magical aspect of things? It's so interesting. This is the second time I've been asked this week. It's just in the field <laughs> that it's coming up and it's a fantastic question. So the answer is no, not generally speaking at all. Everyone identifies in different ways. We are not a religious organization. We are not a coven. We have established a very tradition and there's really space for however people identify spiritually. I think only once or twice in 23 years have we had somebody say, I'm really not comfortable being cast as a demon because I identify as Christian. Is there potentially another role in this show for me? And ultimately that person left the company because they realized that not a what great we fit. do was no crossing yeah. too far over into what they viewed as heathen type practice and no judgment there. Totally get it. And I would say that I'm definitely the most spiritually immersed person in the company at the moment. Since you're doing a lot of the research, that's probably for the best. I imagine you have quite a dedication into being disciplined, into researching and learning a lot of things. So good person to have in charge, in my opinion. Definitely. And I think the role that I hold in the organization right now, our artistic director is on a little bit of a sabbatical because he went back to school, which is fantastic. Uh, the, so the role I'm holding right now is I'm the container for the show that we're working on this month, actually. And that's yeah, new tell for us more me. about that. Yeah, normally it would be a collaborative process that he and I would share. And that's really how we've done it for the last 23 years. And with him going back to school, it became clear that if we want to do a show this fall, which we really wanted to, that it was going to be an opportunity for me to hold that container in a way that I haven't ever done by myself. It's very exciting. And I keep saying this word container and it feels appropriate because the show is about alchemy, <laughs> which is Ooh. about vessels and containers. This is our first show in three years. We haven't done a show since 2019 for obvious reasons. We are just doing one weekend and it's not ghost game style in terms of dessert and a bar and a collection of like 10 stories over the course of the night. We're giving ourselves grace to do something a little simpler than we have in the past as we reemerge back into this creative process. And so we're creating a show inspired by the alchemical process from beginning to end. And so it is vignette style in terms of there are four sort of chapters with little pauses in between, but it's one contiguous exploration of a theme versus, as Jim was describing earlier, we would pick a theme, for example, scary creatures that live in, around, or near water. And we would pick six stories about water spirits or water demons or water monsters from six different cultures and put those together over the course of an evening. So it's a little bit new this year. We're not calling it ghost game per se, but it certainly starts out the first sort of third of the show is pretty dark, pretty scary, very Halloween mm. appropriate. And then as the alchemical process progresses, we start to come out of that place. And I'll just wait until you all come to the show so you can see how it ends. So when is it happening? And where could people buy tickets if they're in the local Seattle area or within driving distance? I can assure you that you've never seen anything like what we do. People have told us it's Cirque du Soleil with a smaller budget, but based on mythology. And that's really a great way to describe it. 
fully immersive dancers, acrobats, people flying around, very otherworldly, immersive. Gosh, I'm I'm out of place and time right now. I'm mm. in this ephemeral liminal space. It's that kind of experience. So we'll be presenting our show, Alchemia is what it's called, or Alchemia for both pronunciations, just for two nights here at the end of the month, October 27th and 28th. Our venue is called Youngstown Cultural Arts Center. It's in West Seattle, and we're selling our tickets on Eventbrite. So if you just type in the word alchemy and then add the letters IA after it, that is the title of the show, and you should be able to find it that way. And we and only we'll have, have 20 tickets left for opening night and 30 for the second night. So I think we're going to sell out, which is really exciting. Congratulations yeah. in advance. We'll have to have you on afterwards to uh, do like a quick review to let us know how totally. it went. I definitely will. It's been an incredible process. It's been so rich just exploring. We're working with the colors of the alchemical phases. So mm. we start in the black and it's really dark and it's like a plant medicine ceremony and it's very... I'm bringing in some of my shamanic studies training as the priestess of that scene, the vulture goddess. Then we go into this lunar whiteness phase, the albedo. And so we have hoops, aerial hoops, because the moon, right? Mm. And it's a very beautiful, dreamy, dancey space. And then the yellow comes in and this is sulfur and we start to have some friction and agitation and push and pull. And so we're sort of swinging around vigorously and dancing really fast and getting really exhausted and it's very fun and then our culmination is in this beautiful red gold it's a phoenix rising from the ashes of the beginning and so it's this heart open celebratory loving passionate dance so those are our phases and it's going to be an incredible show i'm so excited i'm excited for it i'm going to be reading so you can come and get a divinatory reading from me before the show. If you're there. Yeah. Shows at eight, we'll probably usually have people showing up by seven 30. So I think getting to have a mini reading with Jim will be a highlight for folks. The show will be a highlight. So you can go to kabiri.org, C-A-B-I-R-I.org. We'll have this linked in our show notes. Definitely. And if you're in the Seattle Metro It's an amazing evening, a perfect thing to do on Thursday or Friday before Halloween. It won't be creepy like Ghost Game, but it'll definitely be in the season of transformation, the Scorpio depth of things. Definitely a lot of Scorpio vibe. We'll have both the sun and Venus and Scorpio by then. So that will be very appropriate. We're not officially acknowledging the pandemic and the creation of this show, but This phase, starting out in this sort of darkness, this feeling of being stuck, of frustrated, of having to really confront a lot of stuff, and then this process of coming out at the end and really emerging back into life and finding our passion and our connection with it again, I think it's really going to resonate for everyone who comes because it's been such a hard three years. It's been awesome. Yes. Thanks Charlie, for having me, you guys. Thank before you. we go, how can yeah. people find out more about you and follow you on social media and what events do you have coming up other than this huge event? <laughs> yeah, this is huge. This has really been the focus. And once this show is done, I intend to get a little more organized and serious about some teaching that I'm planning to do this fall and winter around astrology, around working with herbs and plants. My partner Isaiah and I will also be presenting at Convocation, which is a pagan festival in the Detroit area in February. We're going to be giving three workshops at that festival, so you can find us there. 
and ways to follow us. I have so many social media handles. Let's just pick a couple. So my personal one, which is public, which I do share what I'm up to on there is Aquarialist. So it's like Aquarius plus I'm also an aerialist. There we go. Isaiah and I's collaboration on social media is the inner circle. And then I see because our first names are Isaiah and Charlie. I see is also part of an astrology chart. So it's a little bit of play in words there. The inner circle I see. So we'll be posting some stuff there as well. And then the Kabiri will likely create another show next year. So if you don't make it to this one, you can follow us on Facebook and social media, the Kabiri, C-A-B-I-R-I. And we'll be posting about that as we start to explore that next year. Woohoo! So, yeah. I was going to ask that next. So now I don't have to. So thanks. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> This has been a delight. As always, I'll take any opportunity to talk to you about absolutely anything because you are so knowledgeable and I just love you. So thank you for making time to come and see us here. Oh, sending the love right back to both of you. I love what you're doing and I'm so honored to be part of it and keep up the great work, Katie and Jim. You guys are the best. You're the best. You're the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes and Spotify, or following Knit a Spell on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Light from Lantern YouTube channel to enjoy full episodes of Knit a Spell and see our happy faces. You can also learn more about readings, classes, and events going on with your favorite maker of magic, James Devine, by visiting thedivinehand.com and subscribing to his newsletter. Then follow Jim's fun and interactive Instagram account at divinehandjim. Keep up with Katie, the magical maker, by subscribing to her newsletter at lightfromlantern.com. You'll receive a free knitting pattern as a thank you gift. Then follow Katie on Instagram at lightfromlantern for even more magical making tips. See you next week. week.